Blog Talk Radio. Alex Maltizo and Jennifer on the line with us tonight. 
Good evening, everybody. Definitely, uh, you know, I always say I'm excited about uh, tonight's show and who we have on as a guest. Um, but I definitely say tonight um, it's an honor, um, kind of more than usual, to have this gentleman on tonight because uh, he's someone who's been somewhere and thing that a lot of people can't say they've done. And uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for this individual and for this this great man, this great American. Um, who uh, might have not been following until just now or just logged on tonight. If you would like to call in and ask questions, we are live on the air, the hot wash. The call-in number is 563-999-3015. That's 563-999-3015. This is the hot with CJ and Alex and Gold Star Father, mm-hmm. Jeff Falkel. Um Tonight we have... The honor, and I will definitely say it is an extended, you know, it's it's an abundantly and I'll have our guest on tonight. He's a former prisoner of war uh, from the Iraqi war. Welcome to the show, Mr. Thomas Hamill. How are you tonight, Tommy? CJ, and it's glad to be there with you and Alex and, and Jeff. It's a, it's a good morning, good afternoon here in the great state of Mississippi. Welcome home, Tommy. Yeah, Welcome thank you, home, sir. Tommy. Welcome home. So, Tommy, you. you know what? Uh, I can remember uh, when the story broke about you, um, about you captured and, and you being missing. Um, but before we get into that, you know, to set the stage and to let our listeners know um, kind of who you are and where you came from, I ask you the normal question that I like to ask our guests. Who is Tommy Hamill? Where are you from? Tell us uh, your background and your history, brother. Well, it hadn't been a very exciting life, at least up until well, I turned 43 in, in Iraq. Uh, you know, I grew up on a farm here in Mississippi. I uh, grew up working hard, uh, teenager in the 70s. Uh, you know, all the, all the Vietnam War stuff going on, watching the news, and, you know, this war is going on. And you know, I, I had uncles in the, in the war in Vietnam, and, you know, I'm just waiting for my turn. You know, I was, I was doing a lot of reading about uh, – Stuff from from Korea and, and World War II wasn't a whole lot in Vietnam out yet, and uh, you know I was just waiting for my turn. Uh, did a lot of hunting here, got got pretty good with my rifle. Uh, I figured that's where I'd be going, you know, going to join the service, wanted to join the Marine Corps when I got out. Uh, I actually did my two-year pre-enlistment while I was still in in high school, and uh, well, you know, some some things just don't go the way we want them to go. I had a, a medical condition that hit me pretty hard when I was. Uh, 16, got, got me on medication, been on it all my life. Uh, I was going to actually try to go ahead and get in the Marine Corps without without telling my recruiter. And my uncle was a warrant officer in the Army at that time, and he knew what I was trying to do, and he, he pulled me aside one day. He said, son, they're going to find out, and they're going to put you out. So I, I called my recruiter and told him what was going on, and he, he explained, and, you know, he, he thanked me for for, you know, wanting to enlist and, and give me some reasons why. He said, you know, if you're – if you're out on, you know, downrange, or, or if you ever capture a prisoner of war, the medication you need every day, you're not going to be able to get it. And, you know, I, I was 16 years old. I said, hey, just let me cross that bridge when I when I get to it. You know, I want to be a Marine. And my life went on. I I, I turned out to be a truck driver. I've, I've been driving a truck for uh, 38 years now. And uh, I've watched all the things that have gone on around the world. I've watched, uh, you know, during the 
during the 70s, all the plane hijackings, uh, you know, all these embassy bombings, uh, Marine Corps barracks in Lebanon. I watched all these things. Uh, I was actually at home watching TV the morning that the plane flew into the towers of 9-11. And, you know, I just, you know, in my 40s and, and, and wanted to do something, didn't know what I could do. And, and you know, found out about this opportunity, you know, a company needing truck drivers in Iraq. And, you know, I, uh, I applied and... Next thing I know, I'm on my way to the Middle East. I think that's, uh, you know, you you said something there, Tommy, that uh, I think a lot of uh, people and a lot of Americans miss out on. And that was you took the opportunity and you jumped on that opportunity because you wanted to serve a country. Um, You weren't looking for, hey, I can make a lot of money as a contractor uh, and capitalize on the war. In Iraq, I want to do it. But I want to serve my country. I didn't get to do it during the Vietnam War, but here's my chance to serve because I wasn't in the. And you know, I have the utmost respect for individuals like you, great Americans who are patriots, because you were there because of your love of the country and you wanting to watch and be a part of the American drive uh, during that war and and to that America succeeded in that war. And I just want to say thank you, brother, from the bottom of my heart for that, because it's it's very refreshing to hear someone do that and not say, oh, well, I was looking for money as a contractor. I applaud that, mm-hmm. Tommy. Yeah, That's well, too. I got over there, and, and you know, you know, a lot of stuff was going on in the news over here about the contractors over there, and you know, you know, I didn't know much about it. I just knew what I was going to be doing over there. Didn't have any any idea how, how many hours a day I was going to be working. You know, we were going to get dates off. Uh, after I got boots on the ground over there, and we we ran. You know, we worked 45 days straight when we got there. We hit the ground 45 days straight, running from southern Iraq, uh, Cedar Two down there, all the way up around Baghdad to Anaconda every day, mission up, uh, mission back. Uh, 15, 16 hours every day. We're trying to eat. We're trying to sleep. We're trying to get our fuel downloaded. And I put a pencil to it one day, and I figured out the hours, 130, 40 hours in seven days. I said, you know, I'm making wow. about 14 or $15 an hour over here. I said, uh, at least these people are coming over here thinking they're, they're coming over here to get rich. It's not a five-day-a-week, 40-hour-a-week job over here. Mm-hmm. But you know, we had a we had a job to do. We had a mission to do, and you know, I I told my wife you're, I sat her down when I. Me, I don't know. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you clear. Can you hear you? Like a transformer. Hmm. Right. Can you hear me, CJ? Yeah, we can hear you. You're cutting in a little. Yeah, one of them combo things, you know how it is. But uh, I think you like might I said, be you in know, the woods, woods of Mississippi or Michigan. Yeah, where I'm out in the woods, we're in the country out here in Mississippi. Not in, not nowhere close to no big city where I'm at. But uh, Which you know, is like I said, I you know, I, I set my wife down before I left, uh, and I told her, you know, I, I said, you know where I'm going. And uh, you, you know what can happen. Things can happen. I, I can be wounded. I can be killed over there. I said, I'm going to be outside the wire. I'm going to be driving a truck. I don't know 
you know, I don't know all the ins and outs now, but I know that I'm not going to be in a safe place. And uh, I made a little pact with myself that, uh, you know, I would never refuse to go out on a convoy mission as long as uh, the U.S. military was, you know, was willing to escort us out. And that's the way I did from day one on the ground over there. I was not going to refuse a mission, you know, unless the military you know, refused to take us out. So, Tommy, uh, tell us, do you have brothers and sisters? Are you a child, or what, what family did you come from? I've got one sister. She lives about 30 or 40 miles away. I don't I talk to her on the phone every once in a while. I don't get a chance to drive over and see them very much. My, uh, I'm still driving a truck, and it keeps me pretty busy. Uh, yeah, I'm in right now. My mother's in the hospital. I've been up there with her all day, and uh, I've been, I took off this week to be with her until we get her out of the hospital. And... Uh, like I said, my dad, you know, she's she's 76 years old. My dad's, you know, nearly 80. You know, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, one of those things just getting close. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to give our oh, condolences uh, that your your mother's in the hospital, and and I appreciate your dedication to coming on the show tonight. Um, definitely appreciate you taking time away from spending time with your mother to come on the show. Tonight, come on. The no, no problem, CJ. Always, always glad. You know, you know. I, I just want you know, folks, to understand. You know, I'm a civilian. Never been in the military. Never been through anything like this. Uh, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I was asked on another radio show a few years back. You know, how is it that uh, another you know uh, military show? And he asked me how is I've been in the military, been trained for all this, and and uh, you're a civilian, never been in the military, and you survived this. I said, well, you know, it's it's just the will, the will to survive. You know, never, never give up. You know, that's what I tell you. Never give up. And it's, it's the same thing with this, with, with PTSD today. You, you never give up. I have my moments, but you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm not giving my captors the satisfaction of escaping mm-hmm. from there, surviving this injury, and, and coming home and letting you know the, the, the horrors of what what happened over there around me and what I saw, what I experienced, uh, dictate my life here at home now. Yeah, and I'm a civilian too. And uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say I'm a civilian too, and I come from a military family, so I understand exactly where you're coming from. And it's um, some of the times that we pick up those habits from our families, and that could also help us survive. Um, How has this event changed you in your in your life today? Do you, well, you know, do, you, uh, do you live harder? Do you laugh louder? Do you take more chances? Do you take less chances? Do you hug longer? Because now you know the value of time. Right. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't go into my whole life. I've I've had several. You know, I'm not. You know, I've been living out my nine lives. I should have died when I was seventeen. <laughs> when I was seventeen, I was. I was gored in the leg and stayed in the hospital two weeks. Nearly died from infection. They, they couldn't. They couldn't control the infection. And and I've been in a. You know, I, I, I've I've lived hard. You know, fast and and you know I, I didn't I didn't stop until I dropped. And when I dropped, it was something bad that happened. And you know mm-hmm. I, I've survived yeah. a couple of couple of truck accidents. Uh, I've turned a farm tractor over on me. Uh, you know, I wrecked my dad's oldmobile when I was 15 years old. And me and a friend of mine, we took the front windshield out, and you know, I, I get out and I'm, I'm blood all over me. And you know, 
I'm not saying I've been to a war zone, but I, I know the effects of what you know what some of this is. And and if that resiliency, if that, yeah, you know, I, I I try to tell guys, you know, I, you know, if I'd have been 18 years old and went in the Marine Corps and this happened to me at 18, I'm thinking, I'm thinking back, and I'm 43, and all these things I went through that built up my resiliency. Uh, Mm-hmm. Would I have handled it the same way? I, you know, I can't say I would have. I don't know. But what it takes is guys, and I'm not saying I'm an example, but it takes guys that have experienced that to, to come back and, and, and show those that are 18 and 19 and 20 that you've got to build a resiliency. The first time you stumble, the first time something goes bad, the first time it hurts, you've got to you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go on, and that's building that for you. you next time you're a little stronger, next time you're a little stronger, uh, my my experience in Iraq didn't affect me anyway. I went through the whole, you know, reintegration process and the seer psychs that came to to Germany at Landstuhl, and you know, I told them, listen, I'm fine. Just get me back to my family. Let me get my my wounds healed, and I'm ready to go back to work, or I'm ready to come back to Iraq, or whatever. This is not affecting me mentally. I've, I've been affected physically a little bit, but mentally, I'm no different than than I was before I went over. I'm I'm just ready to get after it. I think that's a, a for you, bro. amazing way to put it, Tommy. One uh, of my old pilots, uh, he's a well-known night stalker. His name's Dan Laguna. He wrote a book that's called uh, To Live Hard, To Be Hard. And uh, he just explained that to a T uh, of what the name of his book is and what his book's about. Um, it You can't... Pussyfoot around in life and expect to live through and be the things that you were subjected to, um, I think upbringing has a lot to do with it. And uh, that's one of the things that spurred the survival, evasion, resistance, and escape uh, program for the United States military was the Iraq War. Uh, prior right. to Iraq kicking off, really the only guys who got to go to SEER school were guys who were in Special Operations Command for the Army, uh, the Marines, and the Air Force guys who were involved in uh, you know the Special Air Wings. And the Iraq changed that. It uh, it it brought up the fact that. Everyone needs to be SEER trained, not just a PowerPoint presentation to teach soldiers how to inv- to survive in that environment. So prior to that, the only SEER school was the United States Army Special Operation, or excuse me, the United States Survival, Invasion, Resistance, and Escape Corps for Bragg, North Carolina. Right. And because of the Iraq war, the army decided, you know what, we've got to do something to fix this. And they developed their own SEER school down at uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama. Uh, and, and it was right. primarily geared toward the aviators uh, and then high-risk high risk personnel. Um, but the Iraq war and the things that pioneers uh, and prisoners of war like you – uh, in the Iraq War, or what opened the Army's eyes and the military's eyes into we need to provide this training to everyone more than just a PowerPoint class on, you know, teaching on SEER school. So 
that is absolutely, you know, the war you were involved in, the things you survived were the catalyst that brought that training to the conventional forces in the military. Exactly. And, and well, I mean, like I said, even my instance, I mean, if it should have happened, you know, any other, it, it might not have turned out the same way. Things, I mean, that's what we have to look at. It may not turn out that we want it to. I mean, Staff Sergeant Matt Maupin, I don't know if he was executed as re- retaliation for my escape. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure they were pretty pissed off I got away from them, you know, and especially all the news uh, at home. This guy's just a civilian. He's not been trained, and he, he gets away from you guys, uh, you know, in a pretty severe wound. It pretty much should have, should have killed me anyway, and and the amount of water I was getting the, the three weeks I was there, I was pretty dehydrated. I should have died pretty much from dehydration, but, you know, the day I was captured, you know, I got, I got wounded first, and I'm trying to you know, the, the round, I'm not sure what it was. It came through the truck door. We had trucks that were going down. We had trucks turning over. We had trucks blowing up. We had gunfire. We had, you know, roadside bombs, RPGs. They, they had everything in the kitchen sink they were throwing at us. And we were just trying to get through this thing. And, and you know, I, I got hit in the, in the forearm, and, and I was trying to send a message back to ops on our onboard computer that we were under a pretty heavy attack. And, you know, try to stop any any convoys heading out the gate, heading in our direction anyway, and you know, managed to get the uh, the bleeding stopped, and you know, our, our truck went down, and you know, and just in a little bit, didn't didn't take long for me to get captured. I I failed pretty miserably in the evasion part of this, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm new, I'm on the job training. I I got a lot I got to learn in just a little bit of time. Learning on the you fly. <laughs> You know, but but I'm 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 pretty pretty smart and and you know you know use the psychology thing on them and and, you know and and I'm not sure if it made a difference that I was wounded. I'm I'm not sure if Matt was wounded. I don't believe he was. I mean, I had I had most of my forearm blown off and 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 bone fragments Mm -hmm. sticking out of my arm and and I'm just just as calm then as I am now. And I, I noticed my captors noticed that. They, they were wondering, why is this guy, he's got half his arm blowed off. And, you know, I, when they came in every morning, I greeted them like I was greeting my neighbors knocking on the door, you know. I, they, I think they didn't know how to understand or take me, I don't guess, you know. One, one of my one of my captors, he, he asked me if I would try to escape. And I, you know, I, I want to go into, into this, you know, and, and my, I wrote a book about this, and pretty much the only reason I wrote that book was it's because they brought news back to me, uh, what was going on at home, uh, news crews on my farm filming my tractors, my, my family. They, they came back and told me that my family's on the news, and they're crying for me. They were trying to, you know, play on my sympathy. And, and But the first group mm-hmm. of guys they, they, they sent me to, they were, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say the moderate side of them. They were the guys who were trying to get me to convert. They were... They were being real nice to me. They were taking care of my wound. They were bringing me bandages and, and taking me into a doctor. And, and you know, they started asking me if if, if I wanted to, to to be a Muslim. And I said I said no. And every day they would ask me. And and you know, one of the one of the guards asked me one day. I was sitting on the floor in this little room they had. And he, he was standing there and he said he said, Mister, you try to escape. I said, no. I said, you leave that door open. Y'all leave. I'll be sitting right here when y'all come back. You know, that's kind of the way it was. But leave that freaking door open and see if I'm sitting here when y'all come back. You know? <laughs> uh, 
And, you know, I was, all these, they moved me so many times, you know, I was trying to figure out how to get out of some of these buildings. And I'm, like I said, I'm still on the job training. I ain't learned how to make tools and things. I made a, a, a hammer out of a doggone timber that was in one of the buildings I was in. I was trying to knock the block wall down. I couldn't use but just one, my one arm and, and I wasn't making much progress. But I, but I never gave up on, on anything. When that didn't work, I'm looking for you something else. You sound like MacGyver. You know, I, I had a I had a, a real shiny plate. They brought some food on one day, and I was trying to get my arm out of an opening there so I could get up and get my arm through because helicopters were flying around me. I'm trying to signal, get sunlight to to reflect off this little pan, you know. And and you know, but when when they flew over, I didn't just sit down and say, "Hey, I'm I'm done. I can't make it happen," you know. And 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 in that in that same building, I I actually managed to. To, to finish breaking out after, uh, you know, one of the Iraqis that was in the neighborhood around there, there was a sheep farmer or whatever, he he, he saw some stuff going on at this little old building they had me in, and, and he just wanted to come over there and see what was going on. He was actually tried to, tried to break into the building from the outside, but what he did was made it possible for me to break out the next morning, and I managed to get out. They weren't coming, but every two days to bring me food and a little water. And I stayed out all day and tried to flag down helicopters that flew over my head. And, and I'm looking at nothing but 40, 50, 100 miles of desert. I had about maybe four or five ounces of water. You know, I sat right there at the end of the day, and I said, well, you know, what do I do? I mean, I, I can walk out in this desert and die, or I can stay here with these people and die. I don't want to die exhausted, so I just decided to put myself back in the building. I was in, I locked myself back in, you know. But... uh mm. It's I, I just try to keep my a peace of mind and, and just take it one day at a time and not try to get too far ahead of myself. Tommy, how long were you in country before um, the event I was, happened I on Good Friday? In, I, we, we, we convoyed out of, out of Kuwait in, uh, in October of 03. So October of 03, to, uh, and I, I actually came home. I came home for about three weeks in February and March. Uh, it's just what's so ironic. I wasn't even supposed to be in Iraq. On April, two of my buddies over there, we were coming back home on R and R, and and my wife had to have emergency heart surgery, and she, she called, and I had to change my R and R, and I came home to be with her for three weeks when she had heart surgery. And you know that would have been a perfect time for me to, and I knew it was going to get a lot worse. It was already getting bad, and and I told my wife, I said, honey, when we were driving back from the from the hospital, I said, honey, you, you, we got family and church family here. I said, you don't need me here. I said, I, I've got to go back. I'm, I've just got to go back. I'm going to finish what I started over there. And like I said, I went back. It took them a couple of weeks. To, I hadn't actually been out on but a couple of missions since I came back. And uh, But, you know, I just, it's just one of them things. I was driven to go over there. I enjoyed what I was doing, supporting the troops over there. And, and I'll, I'll tell folks today, this, that's the best truck driving job I've ever had over there. You know, but uh, I felt like I was actually doing something that was important. Well, it was. I think that. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Please, please. No, I, and I mean, the civilian contractors that that you know have been in this uh, in this conflict for the last sixteen years, you know, don't get the credit they deserve. You know, they they, they support. You know our guys in more ways than than 
than we can talk about on on a two hour radio show. And so I just, you know, I'm I'm sitting here just, you know, with a big smile on my face, just thanking you for everything you've done and everything you've been through, Tommy. It's amazing. Well, thank you, Jeff. And and like I said, I just, you know, and like I said, a lot of people here at home don't understand. And there's not a lot that I know about it. I know it takes a pretty good while to recruit a, a soldier and get him trained and get him downrange and. And you know, if if, if contractors can be used, and we're we're readily deployable within 30 days, we're all trained. You know, I'm I'm 38 years a truck driver. I ain't never drove anybody shooting at me, but you know, I I just smashed the <laughs> gas pedal a little faster and stuff. You know, try to. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, it's it's if if guys like us want to go and put ourselves in that situation, you know, hey, you know, if it's if it's beneficial and it's not it's not you know, causing any problems, not hindering the, the, the war effect. If we're able to do the job, I have no problem letting us do it if we want to do it. I just wish they'd give me a gun. They didn't give me a gun. I want to shoot somebody. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might be able to, not, we might be able to remedy fun. that. <laughs> it, it's not much fun well, getting shot at when you don't have anything to sling lead back. Yeah, I, 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 I threw rocks every once in a while, that. but you know, I, I kept a pile of rocks I'd throw at them. I didn't. I'm not. I made a makeshift shotgun out of a out of a uh, jack I had one night. We got shut down one night, and and we only had two escorts, and we were in a town we really shouldn't have been in after dark, and the racket coming out, and they were walking down by our trucks, and I I didn't even see one of our escort vehicles, so I grabbed my little old. It's about three feet long, and I I taped my flashlight to the end of it, and when he walked up in my truck, I stuck it out the end of the out the window and turned the flashlight on. He took off like a scared rabbit, so I figured maybe he went over there and told the bad guys that no worse got a shotgun in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, let me let me ask you this, brother. Um, the day that uh, you were captured, um, what was what was your thoughts once you were actually captured? And you knew that you know the gig was up, that you you had been taken captive, and you were a prisoner of war. What what was going through your mind at that point? Well, when they when they first got me, you know, I was like I said, I was trying to work my way to some buildings. I had the sat phone with me. All I needed to do was, you know, we weren't far from Baghdad. And I said, if I got sat phone, I can call. And you know, in a few hours, this place will be policed up. But you know, there was a lot of gunfire around me, and I was trying to get down low. The gunfire was coming from across the road. I wasn't sure if they were locating me, but I knew if I got up, I was fixing to get in the line of sights. And uh, it was a look—a teenage boy came out a few blocks down the road. I was looking right at him, you know, when he came out, and he's yelling across the road, and and I'm watching him to see if he had a weapon on him or not. And I'm I'm pretty much laying down on all fours. I was just rolling. I couldn't cr- crawl with my with my arms. I was trying to roll pretty fast, and I looked back to the road, and there was just one of the, one of the insurgents up in the road, squatted down. And he had his AK pointed at me, and, and all I'm thinking is, well, he's this guy's fixing to unload on me. I, I, my, my breastplate's pointed to the ground and pointed up. It's not going to do me any good if he shoots me inside. And I, I was just sitting there waiting for him to pull the trigger and. And just a little bit, he he got up and walked over to me, and here come another probably three or four more, and five or six more, and they they ran me down an alleyway, and I'm I'm getting punched and hit and and you know punched in the face with gun butts, and 
I'm just thinking it's just chaos and, and just a little bit somebody's gonna gonna shoot me or gonna stab me or something. But uh, one, but a, one, I'm not sure how long it was. Probably a minute, maybe or two. Uh, I'm not sure where this car came from, how they knew where we were at, what alley we were in. But they pulled up and grabbed me and put me in the car and, and away we go. And I said it wasn't but just a, probably a few minutes. We came back out on the highway I just been on. And that's when I got a pretty good glimpse of of what, what was going on. Highways on fire, black smoke cars I can see, trucks burning. Uh and then and like I said in just a just a few minutes, uh, you know, we, we uh well there was a helicopter flying up and I'm 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 seeing it out in the front of us and I I didn't know if these freaking guys would understand English or what. I pointed up between the two guys in the front seat and I said, Hey, that, that helicopter's gonna shoot this car if you guys don't get off this road, you know, we'd only car on this road, you know. And they pulled into a little house off the road, the frontage road, and pulled up under an awning there and went inside and checked me over for a little bit. And we got back in the car and and started back off. And this is when we came up on that Australian broadcasting camera crew that was there. When I saw them, I, I was getting mad because you know, my first thought was Arab or Al Jazeera, you know, TV station, they were there told to be there gonna be a good convoy attack here you're gonna get all the footage you need and you know I, I really didn't want to see anything when they opened the door and stuck the camera in the in the door at me i really didn't even realize he was even speaking english to me but i was talking to him and i just you know, asked me what happened i said they attacked our convoy and, and that's all i'm gonna say you know when, when, we, when we when we left from that point i'm thinking you know <laughs> i'm a dead man never gonna see my family you know, i'm never gonna survive this but you know, I had to put that behind me, and I, and I did. I put that behind me. I never thought about that. I, I just put one foot in the other, in front of the other, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get through this, or I'm going to give it all I got. So, Tommy, I ask you, um, you know, one thing you've already touched on, uh, which is very um, instrumental in SEER school training and in, in it, you know, survival training. Um, in that type of an environment. Um, and I definitely want to draw a line and say there's a big difference between um, peacetime governmental detention and um, prisoner of war. And you were very much a prisoner of war. Uh, you were not a um, a captive of a peacetime governmental uh, or, you know, a peacetime country who had detained you. Right. You were, no right. shit, a prisoner of war. Um, and I had a very good friend of mine uh, who follows the show, um, who I have a whole lot of respect for. He sent me a message earlier uh, last week and asked me, he says, uh, just for the sake of argument, um, was Tommy Hamill a prisoner of war or was he a um, hostage? And I said, well, you know, that's a very good question. So it, it made me go back and do some research, and it, it made me go back and look. And you know, by the word of the law, everything I read, regardless, um, you were a prisoner of war. Um, we can't call you a, a hostage. We can't call you a detainee. You were a prisoner of war because by the letter of the law, that's what you meet is the criteria for prisoner of war. And anybody who disagrees with that uh you know i'd have to tell them they're full of crap and they need to read the regulation um because i read the regulation verbatim and you clearly meet the criteria of 
a prisoner of war. Um, have you had anyone who questioned that or, you know, might have certainly about that? Well, well, I haven't been questioned, you know, face to face. I've I've read things, you know, that, you know, that they designate, you know, me as a hostage, and and that, that doesn't really matter to me. But you know, you know, and and I'll go back to in in captivity. You know, you know, they they told me at, at one point that they had uh, another another captive. And mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm assuming it was I'm sure it was was Sergeant Matt Malkin, and you know I, you know, I don't know whether I need to kick myself in the behind for not, you know I didn't want them to think that I needed to be with another American. See that would have been showing weakness on my part, and, and I wonder if I did the wrong thing. Maybe I should have asked to be to go be with him or see him, see how he was doing, and I didn't. But they were they were they had brought two new. Captors in there, and, and they were questioning me. They, they asked me, "Was I a soldier?" And I said, "I'm, I'm not a soldier. I'm, I'm a civilian. I drive a truck over here. I drive supplies for the military." And of course, they put me out in the car for a little bit and let me sit there, and I'm listening. This is we're going through this mind thing. They're trying to get me to to sympathize with them, and they, they told me to listen to the BBC radio, and I'm listening to the BBC radio, and you know, I'm, I'm hearing a bunch of stuff and about the war and some other captors down farther south, and some a Danish from Danish business, somebody captured, and never never mentioned me at one, one any point, and they, they opened the door and asked me if I heard anything, and I said, no, I ain't heard anything, and uh, they, they took me back in and set me back down, and, and they had been in there discussing, I guess, and... and a new guy that I hadn't seen before, he looked at me and said, you are a soldier. He said, you drive a truck, you haul the supplies, you haul the bombs, you haul, you haul everything the soldiers need. So you, you are a soldier. So I'm thinking, okay, now up until this point, were they treating me uh, differently than they had been treating Matt since they know he's a soldier? So now, now I know that I'm fixing to be treated just like they're treating a normal soldier in captivity. Yeah, and I, I asked that because someone posed that question to me, Tommy. And, uh, you know, like I said, it made me do some research, um, and I appreciated that question. And so I'm going to throw this out there for anybody who interested in checking. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, I've always said a hot wash is 100% unadulterated, uncensored, and I see my mind. Um, but – we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that um, none of these Islamic, um, these radical Islamists um, follow the Geneva Conventions. We're not fighting a uniformed country or army um, like we did uh, during the Vietnam War or the Korean conflict or World War II or World War One. Um so, you know, to say the Geneva Conventions, um, that doesn't apply to our captors. You know what? Uh, we still, as Americans, uh, are bound to the Geneva Conventions. So based off of the Geneva Conventions, Part 1, Article 4, Paragraph 4, um, you absolutely unadulterated meet all the criteria of a prisoner of war. And so in with that, they need to go read that and uh, check it out because, 
by the way, I read the regulation under the Geneva Conventions, um, prisoner of war. And I will tell you, Tommy, as a SEER school graduate of the United States Army Special Operations Survival Evasion Resistance Course at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is, in my opinion, because I'm jaded, the only SEER school, um, you're a prisoner of war, and you did yourself 100% um, the way an American should. Um, you resisted, and you came home, and that's what matters as far as a prisoner of war, a refugee, or a, excuse me, not a refugee, uh, a prisoner of war or a detainee. Um, that's the ultimate goal is to come home with dignity, and that's what Tom Hamill did. Um, you played the part. You did exactly what you were supposed to do as a prisoner uh, of war, and you came home alive. That's the ultimate goal, and that's all we can ask for is your resistance uh, in your detention or your captivity. And you actually came home, which is very rare uh, in anyone who has been captured or taken hostage uh, by anyone in the Iraqi Afghanistan theater uh, outside of the turncoat, uh, Bo Bergdahl, who's a worthless piece of shit. And I'll say that because, like I said, I say what I, I think and, mm -hmm. and I speak my Bo Bergdahl is a worthless piece of shit who is a turncoat who absolutely has no pride in his country, his creed, his alma mater, or where he came from. Bo Bergdahl is a piece of shit. He's alive because mm -hmm. he is a sympathizer with the enemy. And you absolutely embody what an American citizen and an American soldier uh, should show and maintain as a prisoner of war. And anybody who has a problem with that, you know what? They can get bent because you're a hero in my <laughs> book. And you right now, absolutely. I've been to Sears School. I've had the piss beat out of me. I've been to Camp Slampy, and, you know, I can, <clears throat> without giving away things I'm not supposed to talk to, I've been there, and I've been through the School of Hard Knocks, and I know exactly what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say. I don't give a damn how hard you are. Everybody has a breaking point, period. No ifs, ands, no buts, no maybes. I don't care if you're built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't think you're harder than woodpecker lips. At some point in time, you're going to break, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. It doesn't matter how hard you think you are, you're going to break. Mm -hmm. And if you can make it back to American soil like you did, and especially from the standpoint of you, know, you made it out on your own, you resisted and evaded the enemy and you know what Jedi I love to use this term you Jedi mind fucked the enemy into thinking that you were this little mousy freaking who was gonna sit there when the door was open well by God that's what you're supposed to do 
And you know what? You did it. And when you had your opportunity, you seized that opportunity, and you made it out alive. You are the epitome of what an American soldier, American patriot is supposed to do. And, you know, you're a hero in my book because you've done shit that 90% of the American population could never even imagine in their mind. You've been through that. You've been subjected to some of the worst and most freaking scenarios and situations um, that the regular people would absolutely shit their pants and fucking die if they knew what you were subjected to. The the American people would absolutely be beside themselves if they knew the level of commitment that the real Army SEER school at Fort Bragg, North Carolina subjects soldiers to to maintain them or prepare them for the situation you were, in fact, in. So it, you're a hero in my book. To be able to speak to someone who spent 27 days in captivity with radical Islamists, you know what? Tommy Hamill, you're a fucking hero. You all thanks, buddy. So, yeah, well, and I'm and telling the, you right now. And the other thing is that that you know, I mean, you've been because you've been through this. You're now a teacher. You're now a professor. You now are going to share. People, somebody, somebody in the future is going to learn something from you that's going to help them come home. And and for that, we can never thank you enough. Right, and well. You know, like I said, with, with me, and, and I've heard different, I've heard different scenarios of what different, you know, I've listened to, to, to guys talk about what they would have done or what they were telling guys what they need to do, and you know, I've, I've, I've listened to guys say, hey, you, you've been captured by, you know, these, these, these scum, <laughs> radical Islamists, uh, you know, save the last bullet for yourself, you know, if, if that's how you feel, you know, you know, the way I, you know. I think it was the second day or third day, second day in captivity. They, they left me alone all day. I, I had no water since I left camp, and I assumed they hadn't come back all day. And and and, and our, our we we were actually sending ordinance from somewhere. I don't know where it's coming from, from Biop or whatever, in the direction of where I was at. You know, these 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 loud bombs were landing close to the building I was in. It was pitch black. Uh, you know, the room had two windows and it barred up a little glass. Now I'm hearing the glass breaking, the building shaking. I'm I'm sitting here and thinking, well, if I don't get killed, if the next one hits here, maybe it'll open it up and you know I can get out of here. But you know, the next day I didn't hear anything. Nobody. They didn't show up all day long. I I, I laid there and and I'm so dry, so thirsty. I can't. And my mouth's like a mouthful of cotton balls. And I'm sitting there just thinking, you know. It's just got to be a bad way to die, thirst. You know, I, I don't know how long it's going to take. You know, but uh, you know they they came later on that night and got me. And but like I said, I just you know it's the teaching is there both sides. You you, you hear a story of somebody that survives, or you hear a story of somebody that didn't did that didn't try. You know, and. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, it, 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 there was no option. I wasn't going to give up. If you know, if they had beaten me every day, uh, they better they better bring some earplugs because I can scream real freaking loud. <laughs> you know, that's the way I felt about it. 
And you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've been through a lot of pain. I, when I was going the leg, I, you know, I almost died in two weeks. The pain was more than I've never. I've, I've <laughs> I had rotator cuff surgery in 2002. They said that's the most painful surgery you have. And and I was going to supposed to be off work for three or four months. And I told the doctor, I said, Hey, I got to drive a truck. And I learned how to drive that truck before I had the surgery with the pad that I was going to have my arm tied. I learned how to drive that truck with one arm and do everything I had to do. And when I when I had the surgery, when they took the staples out of my shoulder, uh, I went back to work. I didn't have time for rehab. I, my, my work's my rehab, you know. You, you just got to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I grew up in, in, in the country. I grew up working, and I, I grew up knowing that you, you got to get up and go to work every day. And if you fall down, you can't get yourself up. You know, you got bootstrap. Grab a hold of them and pull yourself back up. Only the strong survive. So when you just wanted to ask, um, so when you were a captive, I mean, what were your thoughts of hope, and did you have any possible, you know, preparation if you didn't make it out alive in your own mind? Like, what did you prepare well, yourself for, you know, good that, and bad? Well, right. Well, you all know there's two ways you can come home. And, of course, sometimes you don't come home. Timothy Bell, one of my guys, still missing from that convoy attack from Mobile, Alabama, still okay. missing unaccounted for, and they have him listed presumed dead. Uh, If I was going to go home, I wanted to go home one way or the other. And I can go home alive or I can go home in a body bag. And my focus was whatever happens, whenever it goes down, whenever I make that decision to do what I need to do, Somebody is going to be there on on our side. that's going to take me home if I if I'm in the middle of this fire and, and I don't survive. So on, on May the second, the day that I escaped and broke out of that building, those troops were just down the road from me, and that guard that was guarding me had a, he had a gun, he had it with him. But you know when I broke out of there, he had seen I guess I assume he had seen the troops coming, and he just left his gun laying behind the building I was in. And, and, I mean, he, these guys want to die for their cause. Why didn't he want to die for his cause? He left his gun laying behind a bill, and he ran off. And I'm more than likely assuming that these troops are going to go on by, and I'm not going to try to get out of the building. I'm going to stay in there, and he's just going to come back and resume his guard position after the troops go through. But I done made up my mind that I'm, I'm going to go home today dead or alive. And that's, that's pretty much how I... I focused every day. I, whatever happened is going to go down where, where somebody's going to take me home one way or the other. And how do you feel about your enemies today? The ones you know, who captured people, you? I mean, you know, I, I have a big problem with, with you know, I'm not saying it's a big problem with, with Muslims in general. Uh, or or mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with Arabs or for Christians or atheists or whatever they are, but I don't think our, our moderate Muslims, I wish they would speak out a little more about radical Islam. And, and if it takes me having a hard stance against all of them to, to piss them off and make them stand up and say, hey, we're going to have to do something about our own people. This, this radical stuff's got to go away. We're, we're not living back in the Stone Age. This stuff does not need to be happening today. And, you know... And that's why I wanted to be a part of this. That's why I wanted to get over there, and I wanted to be in the middle of it. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't mm-hmm. want my life to go away and not be a part of something that, that's that's you know ho- hopefully beneficial for everybody. If we can get this radical Islam under control, I, I can live with Muslims across the street with me. I 
I, I told my captors, we were talking, I said, listen, I said, you can live across the street from me. We don't have to come out in the middle of the street and fight it out every day because you believe differently than I did, you know. And I, and I flat, flat out told the guy that, that. And that's the way I feel. And I think that's a, a great point to bring up, Tommy. Uh, you know, we talked about that really before the start tonight. Um, there, there are so many Americans um, in There's so many Americans that say, you know what? We hate Muslims. We don't want anything to do with them. All Muslims are bad. And then you've got the the far left side who say, you know, they deserve every chance. They're not bad. You know, we should welcome them with open arms. Um, I'm here to tell you, you know, it's just like I told you uh, prior to us going live on the air. Um, there's good Americans. There's bad Americans. I didn't say that. Right in here now, but you know what? There's good Americans, there's bad Americans here in the United States. There's good Muslims and there's bad Muslims. I fought side by side with, um, Muslims who would have absolutely given their life uh, for the cause and for the soldiers that they were supporting as interpreters. Um, and I'll give you a good example. Two two resounding examples stand out in my mind is uh, Johnny Walker. Uh, who is a special yeah. operations yeah. interpreter to special operations, specifically the Navy SEALs, um, and then uh, a former Iraqi soldier who joined the Iraqi army under age and went from the rank of private all the way up to command sergeant major, uh, Hamidi. Um, both of those individuals blatantly to this day stand up you know they stand up upside down on their head and scream that we can't allow these unvetted radical Muslims into our country every single individual from a Muslim country must be vetted um, and that's that's one of the things um, you know I'll go off on a little political tirade for a second but you know um, the as the left likes to call it the ban that President Trump placed, uh, which was not actually a ban, but he placed a individuals from these countries will not come into the United States for the next 90 days, 120 days, whatever it is. You know what? President Obama did the same exact thing. It wasn't anything new. It wasn't like, oh, Trump's being a racist. Um, he did the same exact thing that Obama did before. So I'm of the opinion that if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, by God, it must be a duck until proven otherwise. So I was taught a long time ago from one of my friends – or one of my – not friends. Definitely can't say when I was a young private I had any NCOs that were friends or flaming assholes. Uh, one of my young NCOs – when I was young, one of my NCOs told me, you know what? I treat everybody the same. I don't believe in, in equal opportunity. Um, I believe in equal opportunity to the fact that I treat everybody like shit until they earn the – until they deserve to be treated otherwise. So I don't right. give a damn who you are. I don't care where you came from. I don't, want, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what religion you are, what creed you're from. 
until you earn the right to be treated differently, I'm going to treat everybody like shit. So does that mean I'm going to treat everybody like shit today? No, I'm going to be suspect of every individual who comes from a religion that is typically and traditionally and historically radical. So until you prove me otherwise, I'm going to be suspect of you. So, and that's the same exact thing that Johnny Walker and Hamity Jassim, who are both Muslims, who I would give my life for any day. There's no questions asked. I would take a for either one of those guys in a heartbeat because they're exactly. that dedicated to the United States of America and what we stand for. They say that about their own religion, their own people. So if they're saying that, why the hell do we have such problems saying that? So I agree 100% that, you know, I don't care who you are, where you came from, what you believe in, as long as you're not trying to do insane atrocities to the general public or to individuals or citizens of, of my country, then I can live happily with you. I can agree to disagree with you. you know, it's just like silly little – you like the Cowboys and I like the San Francisco 49ers. You know what? We can agree to disagree. We have different teams we root for, but we're still want to live in harmony. So right. it's the same concept. Yes, and like I said, you know, even with me, you know, with Islam, you know, I, don't, I, you know, I can't read the Quran. I just, I just take from what I've heard from it. And the, the only part that really, that really gets me is the part where you know they can, they can lie to further cause. And, and you know, that's what, that's what kind of sticks in my mind. How do I know who's lying and who's not? This, this, this. I mean, I don't. This guy's acting real nice. He's, 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 he's a good. Good neighbor down the road. He he, he runs, a, but but I don't know. Is he is he being here? I mean I don't know. <laughs> and, and that's what that's what throws me off. I, I don't have a problem. You know, I'd sit down and drink tea with every one of those guys that that that, that guarded me. I I don't hate those guys. I mean I, I had a one on one. I broke bread with them. We both all ate out of the same freaking bowl when they when they brought and fed us. But I don't have uh, an animosity or hatred for them. Is 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 as much as I would have for other individuals I don't know that that are coming in. I mean, these guys, you know, it was their job. They're to guard me, and if they're told to kill me, they're going to kill me. That's that, that. Hey, be straight up with me. You know, I don't want to be caught off guard. And and some of this stuff is catching us off guard. And, and if we don't, if we don't take a stance and say and, and back them up and, and and get them on the other end before they come through the gate, say, well, we better wait up now. They're they're doing a lot of vetting over there now. They're checking more. We, you know, we better we better just let the good ones go in. We better wait. Same way with our southern border. Maybe we're going to slow down some of these drugs coming across. We start cracking down. You can't just say the gate's open, and this is a land of milk and honey. Everybody's coming, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And you you, you got to crack down, and you got to say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna be here waiting on you. You know, we're gonna check you, and. You know, they, 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 the bad guys may still find a way to sneak around, but they're not just going to walk through with all the good ones like they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, so Tommy, uh, have you been uh, – I, I have to ask you this because it's, it's a thought that popped into my mind. Have you been subject of um, maybe 
have you been treated differently differently by people of the Islamic faith or um, Muslims that you've interacted with since your experience? Have you experienced any prejudice towards you or no, um, no, I, any I, I, issues? I haven't, I haven't had, no, I haven't had any. I, I, I've actually had Facebook contacts. Since I've been on Facebook, I've had guys from the Middle East. I've had guys, Arabs from the Muslim from, from Syria. Uh, and, and all of them said they were glad I glad I, I I'm, I'm free I'm glad I, I made it you know and I actually had I, I was well, this was three years after I came back I was walking down the terminal in LaGuardia and it's a, it's a crowded terminal you know and when I first came back people were would would recognize me or they'd look at me like and they'd say well I've seen you somewhere well you know maybe you yeah. saw me on TV or something and but this this guy was Muslim he was working. Behind one of the kiosks there at the airport, and he's 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 walking straight towards me, you know. And I'm looking at him, and we're just eyes locked on to each other. And he walked up to me, and he said, uh, he said, "You're Mr. Hamill." And I said, "Well, yeah, yes, I am." He said, "I'm so glad you made it home." And and you know, I, I, I'm I'm on the fence, but I, you know, I'm more for 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 taking care of America first. You know, I want to make sure we're safe, everybody's safe. We're not letting anybody get in here that don't belong in this country, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I I haven't had any 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 Muslims mistreat me, or I haven't. And, and of course, you know, if we get in a, if we talk, sit down, and talk about this. I mean, you know, we may get in an argument about it. But like you said, we've got to. You know, sometimes you just get to a point where you agree to disagree about it. So, Tommy, I want to ask you. Uh... And there's, I've got a plethora of questions in my mind that are just turning around, and I apologize for Bogarden the uh, the microphone tonight, but I've I've got to ask you, um, from a standpoint of being through that experience, um, because you've been through an experience that a lot of Americans, American military, like I said before, you know, there's, I don't know the percentages, but you've been through something that not very many Americans can say they've been through. Uh, and you definitely know what post-traumatic stress is. Uh, and you know, the wounds of war, both physical and mentally. Um, what would you say that those have affected your daily life? Bro? Uh, well, what I'm going to say is people that, 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 I'm Facebook friends with, and I'm sure you you know you know how I am on Facebook. You know, some people would think this guy's you know he's fixing to jump off the nut wagon here. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you didn't if you didn't know me before I went to Iraq, I, you know, I didn't. I said what was on my mind. If you didn't like it, you'd come up and punch me in the face, and we'd fight it out. You know, that's the way it was. You know, so I'm going to say what's on mine. If you don't like it, we can debate it. If you don't want to debate it, if you want to cuss me, that's fine. If you cuss me, I'm going to unfriend you. <laughs> you know, you know, we can't have a civil debate over this. That's what it's all about. Your opinion, my opinion. You know, we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll hash it out till we, till we finally say, well, we're not going to come to no agreement. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. But, you know, PTSD, this, this is on, on me hard. I, I don't. You know, like I said, I, I'm not giving those guys over there, my captors. I'm not giving them the satisfaction. And and if if I come home and I allow PTSD to to take control of me, or it's just 
It ruins my life. I put, you know, I'm 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 at the at the table with the pistol up to my head, you know, counting down. You know, I can't survive. I can't live. You know, that's all my captors want to hear on the news over here is Tommy Hamill put a pistol to his head and blew his brains out. That will never happen. And I I have had my moments, and I'm the kind of guy. My moments are my moments. Uh. And like I told you earlier, I don't have much contact. I have more contact with my military friends and with, with Air Force Seer guys that I, that I work with than I, than I do my colleagues that I was on convoy mission that day with, and I was their convoy commander. I went over there to do a job, and, and that day turned out to be a bad day. And there's all the questions and there's litigation. Should, should we have gone out? We didn't know what the road conditions were. Were they black? Were they red? Were they green? Were they yellow? What were they? It didn't matter to me. We had a job to do. They needed fuel down there in Baghdad, if, and, if, and we were the guys that were going to do it. Because I could have stood up there and said, I'm taking every one of my guys off the line because it's going to be a bad day, and somebody's going to get hurt. You you send those guys out in camouflage today. You let those guys get wounded. You let those guys get killed today because I'm going to stay in the camp, and I'm going to be safe. I didn't go over there to be 100% safe. I went over there to do a job, and I went over there to be wounded or die just like our soldiers did. And, and many of my colleagues do not feel the same way I do. Uh, they talk with each other every week. I talk to some of them, and they, they said, hey, we, we, mm-hmm. we call and talk to each other every week. I said, that's fine. You guys can call, and you can have group hugs and cry sessions all you want to. <laughs> I've got a freaking job to do. I'm a truck driver. My, my, my orthopedic surgeon told me, he said, oh, you'll never be able to use your right arm. Never be able to use it. And I said, I've got to use it. I drive a truck. I don't know how to do anything else. And I'm going to drive mm-hmm. a truck. It took me two years, surgeries, bone oh, yeah. grafts, and, and, and two years, I went back to work. And I've been working. That's awesome. I'm back. I own my own truck like, like I've always had. And my, my own boss. I can't work for nobody else. I'm hard-headed. And I, I can't even have anybody work for me because I cuss them out too much when they don't. But I'm not, I can't find anybody <laughs> like me, so I don't. So I don't have. I can't keep a driver. So I just. I got one truck and I drive it myself. I do what I want to do, and how I want to do it. And that's that's all. I, that's all I want. Give me the opportunity, and I'll do what I can do. If I can't do it all, I'll do much as I can. So in other words, what you're sure. saying, Tommy, is there is no such thing kinder, gentler, Tommy Hamill. Um, there is no old hands and saying kumbaya bullshit. No, I mean, I, they, they were all just babying me in, in, in Germany and thinking this guy's a civilian. He's going to come out. I said, listen, you know, they brought my wife over there to me. I said, what did y'all expect? You know, it, it, she's going to get on one side of the daisy field and I'm going to get on the other side. And we're going to meet in the middle and kiss and hug. <laughs> I, I just saw her two freaking week, three weeks ago, <laughs> you know. You know, I, I, I've, it's, I've only been in captivity three weeks. I, they, they just, you know, I, you know, like I said, I, I, love I don't that. let that bother me. I, you know, I'll, I'll get mad, and, and if you get me mad enough, we will fight. <laughs> you know, but, 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 you know, I absolutely CD, love that. I, I can't. Yeah. I, I Tommy can't says, "I was only in captivity I, for three weeks." You know, it's, it's only yeah, three weeks. Cool. It's no big deal. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I look at those guys in, in World War Two and World War One and Korea and Vietnam that stayed in. You know, I've, I've, I've had talks with guys that were POWs in Korea and in World War Two and in Vietnam and what those guys went through and 
you know, and then my, my, my father-in-law was in Vietnam. He was in a long-range reconnaissance patrol. They, they ate and slept and and everything in Agent Orange, and it's pretty much, you know, he, he, he it, the Agent Orange destroyed him. He, he, he died, but he wanted to stay alive long enough to see me come home, and he did, you know. And and like I said, he, he never he never complained, never while this Agent Orange is destroying all of his organs and they're cutting his limbs off and he's going to dialysis three or four times a week, you know, he's he's still just as upbeat as ever, you know. And and that's the way we have to be. Regardless, I mean, it's just like me, you know, Matt didn't come get to come home. He was killed in captivity. You know, if I come home and shut down and can't do anything, can't speak, can't be heard, you know, what have I done for Matt? I, I, Matt would rather be here in my place and me and his, yeah. if, if he's going to spread a message that this, you know, PTSD, I'm, you know, it, it just tears me up. It's somebody, I hear it every day. Somebody's committing suicide because of this. I'm so mad at our freaking enemies. Though. I want to, I don't want to hurt myself. I want to go hurt those scumbags over there in Iraq or Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. do something, go back over there and kill some more of them. Mm-hmm. But, yep. but, but yeah. it's a mental thing. Everybody doesn't have the same mentality, you know. I'm, I'm just a, like I said, I've survived, uh, I've survived several wrecks, and, and, and I mean, I, I should have died years ago. And I, you know, while I'm still here, I'm, I'm God's blessed me for some reason. I don't know, because I, I know that I should have died in, in several of the truck wrecks I was in. If you saw what I went through in Iraq, you should have seen some of the trucks that I survived and and, and had to be pulled out of. You know, it's just. You know, when there's there's nothing left of the truck and you're still mashed down in the truck and, and you know, and, and you don't have a scratch on you, you know, it's, it's, some things are just miracles. You know, I, and Tommy, I think that you hit the nail on the head, brother. Uh, you, you've said it several times uh, during this interview. Um, not everybody deals with their situation uh, or their experience the same. Um, you know, every individual is different. Every person deals with trauma. They deal with their experiences different than others. Um, and I'm a huge veteran advocate. I'm a huge advocate of preventing uh, the war against veteran suicide because we're absolutely, it. it's not a question. It is a war. It is a war. The biggest enemy that we as American veterans face is um, post-traumatic stress and and suicide. So not every individual deals with that the same. Not every individual is capable of handling that. Um, And you know what? There are so many factors that, uh, that play into how veterans deal with that with their post-traumatic stress or deal with their experiences of, of war. Um, and I think one of the, the most pressing or one of the, the biggest issues that veterans to snap is, uh, their support of their family, um, or the lack thereof. Um, they take these deployments and, wife cheated on them their wife's out with another man um right you know their family doesn't know how to deal with them um i'm absolutely a hundred percent of the opinion that 
that is a contributing factor. Now, uh, it, the reason they committed suicide was they decided to take their own life. I, I don't believe solely that it's it, but I believe that it's absolutely a contributing factor. Um, one of the things that the, the player uses, uh, I'll give you a good example, is during a an aircraft tap or tap of um, not only aircraft vehicles uh, in the military, anytime you an aircraft that causes an X amount of dollar amount of damage or someone loses the um, it's classified between A, B, C, or D mishap. And, and the investigation team is much to investigate that incident and find out what caused that incident. And so when we have an answer as to and two, what can we learn at? Whenever that happens and when the report comes back, you get a list of contributing factors and present non-contributing factors. And I would definitely say as a veteran, but you know, who's been to Afghanistan and Iraq um, numerous times with an extended amount of time in both countries, um, when Whenever an individual comes and their family is not supporting them, um, um, that is very much a contributing factor to their decline or the reasons that they are suffering. Um, they've seen the events that... Uh, Transpired in combat, right? Or they've seen the events that cause them to have those issues, but they get home and they don't have that support from their family. They don't have that support from their spouse, their wife, their mother, their father, their brothers, their sisters, and it's a contributing factor to their demise of taking their own life. Um, so one of the biggest things and one of the most important things that I think um, is missed, and, you know, the Army's got a little bit of a clue, or I shouldn't say just the Army, but the military has a, a little bit of a clue, is reintegration um, counseling and reintegration process for our soldiers and their families. Uh, and educating the families on how to deal with a veteran whenever they come back from a deployment. Um, because it, it, it's not the same. I don't, you know, it, like I said, you come home from one deployment or you come home from 22 deployments like I did. I came from a society, or not society, but a a group that expects things to be done immediately when I say, let's do it. Uh, regardless of whether we're hitting time-sensitive targets or high-value targets, whenever someone says it's go time, it's go time. So I come right. home, 
and I expect the same exact thing. Um, if I say move, then I expect my kids to move. Uh, if I tell my kids don't move or I tell them to do this or do that, I expect them to do this or don't do that. And you find yourself snapping on your friends and family members because they don't move as quick as you expect them to. Um, and that is directly correlating to your lifestyle that you've become accustomed to that you live day in and day out whenever you are in combat. And one of the things I want to point out, um, Tommy, is you know what? You weren't just a, a truck driver, and, and you kind of touched on it, but you didn't really clarify. Um, you weren't just a truck driver over there. You were the convoy commander. Uh, that was your job to be the convoy commander and command that convoy on these routes on these missions. So it's not like you were just jumping behind the wheel of a truck and driving from point A to point B when you were told to. You had part of the onus of saying, yeah, let's do this mission or let's not do this mission. So right. it's not like you were just saying, hey, let's, yep, uh, they told me to go from here to there. You were part of the leadership as a civilian that said, we're going to do this mission or we're not. Um, and you and I think one of the things that you've touched on – sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, and, and, he, and, he lived, and he lived from the front. And you can, you know, that, that, that gives you that much more respect, and not only, not only to your men, but to the people you're serving. Let me know. 
and I'll let the, I'll let the foreman know you don't want to go. And that was something I didn't do. Uh, do I regret not doing that? I don't know. I don't really regret it. I mean, surely everybody was over there and knew what they were over there and knew what they were up against. And and they're their own they're their own men. They're, they they don't need nobody telling them what to do. If they didn't want to go, all they had to do was come up and say, hey. Tommy, I, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going out on this mission. Well, that's fine. Let me pull you off the mission, Ross. I think that, uh, you know, Tommy, I can't tell you, honestly, the amount of respect that I have for you, brother. Um, me too. Like, seriously, man, you you exuberate what a leader should be. And, well, you know, <laughs> people can talk shit about civilians all they want. People who haven't been in the military. By God, I'll tell you what. You absolutely embody what a leader should do, which was just like Jeff said earlier, being up front where the fighting is hard with your men and be no do. You set that example, and I'm here to tell you right now, I don't give a damn where we're at. I don't care what the situation is. If I'm within ears of Tommy Hamill, or if you call me on the phone and say, hey, you know what, CJ, I need you, no questions asked, I will be there have your back because you're the epitome of what an American patriot is supposed to be. Thanks, thanks, CJ. Anything, any place, any time, brother. Thank you. So, Tommy, I got to ask you. I I tried um, because I'll be honest with you. I don't read a lot. Um, I'm a redneck from East, and I have a hard time reading. I have to make that joke because it's it's semi true. Um, but I don't read a lot of books, and I wanted to read your book, and I tried to get it online, but I couldn't find it online anywhere. Um, the only place that I could get it would be buying it in the store, and I knew that if I bought it in a store, I'd have a hard time buying it because I. Wanted get an electronic copy, download it, and read it, or read it. Right. Um, well, I, I so, try to tell guys, guys now about the, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote this, everything in it's true, it's just a little watered down. I, you know, I, when, when, I wasn't going to do anything when I came back. We're just going to come back and get healed up and go back to work. And the more I sat here and thought about it, I said, you know, if, if Tommy Hamill's never heard from again, you know, those, my captors watch TV. They brought news back to me. Uh, what are they going to think? Are they, are they going to think I went and got in hiding? I'm, I'm scared to show my face. You know, what are they going to think? And and I was contacted by just just a, another redneck writer. He was an, he's an outdoor writer, writes for outdoor magazines, and he, he, he lives not too far from here, and he came up and talked to me. And we talked about it, and, I, and more I thought about it, so let's this is going to be one way for me to be a little thorn inside of those captors that had me. Uh, this time they're going to be watching the news and they're going to see me on the news over here looking back at them. 
And if this book can be just a little bit of a thorn in their side, as long as it will be, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, but then I was afraid if, if I said what I really felt in this book, I did not want them on TV over there saying we killed this guy because this freaking redneck farmer from Mississippi won't shut the hell up. And so it, it, you have to read between the lines, and I'm sure – you and the military community are able to read between the lines. If some civilian reads this, they're going to think I had a picnic over there. And that's, that's the way it, it looks like I had a picnic over there. I didn't. My, my captors did not have my best interest in heart. Uh, the last week I was there, they had actually decided that I was not going to convert. I'd done, you know, They had offered to give me a wife and give me a store in Baghdad if I converted to Islam, and I said no for the last time. And that's when these guys that were trying to be sympathetic and get me to be sympathetic, that's when they went away, and that's when they moved me with the guys that I, I said were my guards on death row. They were just waiting for the word to execute me, and, you know, and it's just one of them things I... I'm either going to die here or I'm going to get away from here. You know, I'm focused on, on on not not dying here, trying to get away. And these guys that I'm with now, they're not taking care of me. They're not they're not bringing the medication. They're not bringing. I'm, I'm reusing bandages. They were old. My arms draining. Uh, you know, I had a little iodine that they left with me. Finally, ran out of it. I didn't get anything else. Anything else there. And these guys are just waiting for the word. Is all. You know, waiting for the word to. To, to execute me, and 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 I'm and I'm going to tell you, I'm I'm not I'm not a tough guy by any way. I don't mind fighting, but I'm going to tell you when you sit there, and, and you talk about family. Now I, that was one thing I, I turned my family off. Sometimes you got to turn things off. I turned my family completely off, like I didn't know them while I was in captivity, because I don't need to be thinking about them. I don't need to be. Uh, I don't need to be crying in here or or or, or just wondering how they're thinking. What's going on? I've, I've got to be focused. And like I said, those guys that last week, they were just, you know, they were they were waiting for the for the word. And you know, my my days were numbered. And when they uh, when they moved me, so I don't know why they moved me that last day. They they, they moved were moving me to a different place. And and the the guard that was guarding me in the building they had me in was not as secure as all the other buildings were. They didn't even have a door that they could. The deadbolt or locked me in. They just had a frame uh, shoved up over the door, and the guard was standing outside. And like I said, these guards, you know, I had that last week and a half. They, 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 they just had that stare. They stared right through you. They threatened me, and I had, I had a mock execution. I'm not sure what they were expecting out of that mock execution, but I, and they put the pistol down to my head. I didn't say nothing. I didn't scream. I didn't holler, "Don't kill me." I, I just, just said, "Hey." Just a couple of seconds, it's going to be over, and I ain't going to have to worry about it no more. You know, I think uh, I, I can't even sit here and listen to you without having raw emotion. Think about the not only American civilians, but anyone by these um, humans in, as, as 
as individuals. Um, you know, it, it it absolutely strikes me hard. Um, and I can sympathize 100% with your opinion. And, you know, by God's... Tommy, it makes me only love you even more that you talk about, and I'm paraphrasing, but fuck these son of bitches, let's go get some more. Um, well, it's just got that end. You can't keep going on. This guy's got, we got to have an, we got to have an end point in sight. <laughs> that that's absolutely the way I feel. Um, I left special operations in December 2010, and I spent the last uh, several years of my life being a single father to a little boy. And it, it absolutely broke my heart to have to do that, but my son was more important um, than continuing on with the fight or the mission, because I'd already given nine years of my life towards that mission. Right. But I could tell you without any mental reservation or hesitation that my heart is still in that fight every single day. And I would love nothing more than to be part of the fight that sends those radical Muslims not to meet their virgins because we have slaughtered them and looking out for the best interests of the United States of America. And, you know, Tommy, you I can't even describe how much respect I have for you as an American civilian, a DOD contractor who lives and embodies the morals that you do. Because a lot of American soldiers could take Classes and learn from the example that you set. And I, I definitely, you know what, Tommy, you're a brother. We've talked for over two years over social media. I've been trying to get you on the hot wash for a long time, and our schedules were conflicting. But I'm very honored and humbled that you were a member of the Hot Wash tonight, brother. And and you I just want to kick in one last one last thing that that I know I know how hard it is to write a book, but it's something that has to be done. And and you did it. And and for that, you're you're going to help more people than you can possibly imagine uh, with 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 your words and your inspiration and, and, and people are going to, they're going to learn not only about you, but hopefully they're going to learn about themselves. 
and for that, Tommy, you know, you're you're you, you've you've created a legacy that's only going to get only going to get bigger. And for that, I I can't thank you enough. Right. And and it's and like I said, I'm not no tough looking guy. I mean, I'm 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 a good hunter. I can shoot straight. But you know, I, I had guys when I, when I first came back that never met me, and, and when we met, they look at me and they think they say, uh, I, "I just expected you to be a much bigger fella." And you know, it doesn't matter how big you are. You know, if you've got the grit and you've got the will to survive, it, it, you don't have to be six foot eight and 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 two hundred and eighty pounds to be a mean sob. <laughs> you know. That will to survive. That's true. It's, 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 it's what you got to have, and and that never give up attitude until it's your time. I mean, that's the way I the way I looked at it. It's 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 when it's my time. I'm I'm leaving here. Uh, all those times that I thought I was going to leave here, and all those accidents, I didn't leave here. And and that that's I guess that maybe it kept me in such of a peace. I didn't. You know, when it's my time, I'm leaving here. If I'm not supposed to leave here and I'm supposed to die over here, I'm not going to die over here. I'm going to go home. And whatever I'm enduring over here, whatever I'm going through over here, uh, it's it's just another day on the job to me. Yep. And I'll tell you, Tommy, what you have a brother. You know, exactly what they try to teach at Sears School. That's exactly the attitude that they try to embody into uh, students who graduate Sears School. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I would, I'm in awe of listening to you tonight. And I wish that you were one of my presenters or one of my Lecturers at uh, the United States Army Sierra School um, because everything you've said tonight embodies what the Sierra School was created for. Well, and how I, they I, I, I survived. To, I survived. To, 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 to say what I can say and, and, and leave what I can leave. And if, if like you said, if, if guys can look at me and say, hey, you know, if, if he can do this, by God, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I Tommy, love that you're ready so to go get, get the about, bad guys. I, I'm yeah, we're going to get the bad guys. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> There's more of them. And bad guys win all the time. So I'm glad you're here to tell the story. And yeah, like your story I, is so I, inspiring, Tommy. Well, you know, it's you know, I've, I've watched a lot since I've been home watching news and I've watched the things and you know, I'm gonna touch on Gitmo down here. I you know, I, I try to tell these people that don't understand these things way off in left field when they're so sympathetic for these people down there at Gitmo that we have down there as detainees. You know, so so they got waterboarders, so they got dogs, and so so they had the lights on 24/7. You know, Matt Maupin did not get a, a multiple choice question. They didn't come to him and say, "Hey, do you want to live or do you want to die?" They killed this man. He didn't get an opportunity. And I'm telling you, Matt Maupin is why I live and why I do what I do because I know doggone good and well 
that if I failed, I failed him. That's who I look at. I failed Matt because he would rather be here today with his family. And, and if I can't embody him and I can't get up, put one foot in front of the other, or pull myself up by my bootstraps every day, when when things aren't going my way, and just shug it off and go on because Matt is not here to do that. That's why I'm here. And, and, and this is why our, our war fighters, you, are, you, you may have saw your buddy die in your arms. You may have seen things you shouldn't see. But we have, you have to pick up and you have to go on for them. And if family is the problem, you've got to do something. I mean, my wife, I told my wife when we came home, I said, I, I'm, don't you baby me. <laughs> I'm telling you. Don't you. <laughs> and, and, and my son, he was, he was uh, you know, 13 years old when I went over there. And, and this is, you know, I'm not like, you know, getting recruited and, and, and a soldier and going off and you're in a family warfighter family and, and the kids grow up in this I, i'm here today and gone to a war zone tomorrow my, my, when i came home my son didn't even want to talk to me i mean I, it took me forever to find, figure out what was wrong with him i said son what is wrong why why, mm-hmm. why, why, why what do you hate me for he said you you left mm-hmm. me daddy you left us and, and you know i said well, son i didn't leave you you know and of course, and, and I'm going back to what you're saying. Family can 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 play a role in and how the mental effect is on on the on the warfighter. But you know, I, I said, son, well, you're just going to have to grow out of that. You know, he's he's twenty twenty seven years old now. He he grew out of it. You know, he he did. But mm-hmm. when I first came home for a few years, he did he he just he didn't want much to do with me because he said I packed up and left him. That's how he felt. You know. So I mean, we, we sometimes you just gotta you, you gotta let these things. And like I said, I said, son, you're gonna have to deal with it. You're gonna grow out of this one day. And one day you'll wake up and you'll understand what your dad did. And I think that. Uh, Absolutely. Go ahead, Alex, please. I was gonna say, uh, my father, he was my you know my first hero, and he was Davy second, and I'd see him jump out of C-130s and things like this, but. Um, we always understand, um, I guess as children, you may not understand why your father's gone for two years, but you do finally get the magnitude of the important history that they play. So right. I'm glad that, he's, that he has that. Yes. Sorry, CJ, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, like I said, I've been, you know, Bogart in the app the microphone tonight, but Tommy, uh, I've, I've been having like, crazy comms on my side, so I apologize. <laughs> it, it, Tommy, what has the military reached out to you? Cause I know that you've got a unique re- relationship with the United States air force. How has the SEER community or the special, you know, the survival evasion resistance and escape community, reached out to you and asked you to tell their story or tell your story and help with future uh, war fighters and their endeavors? Well, I mean, I've always been, made myself available, you know, when, I mean, I, I was a uh, guest speaker with a dead course down here at Herbert Field for a while with uh, General Dozier and, and some of the guys that were in the, uh, planes that were hijacked back in the 70s and some guys were in the trade towers and we all told our stories and you know you're getting a perspective from from every avenue and 
like I said, if if, if them just just you know seeing me in person and and saying look and, and looking at me and saying this this guy's he, he's not a big guy he's doesn't look like a tough guy but you know hey he 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 buckled down he survived this he he had a will to live uh, you know it it may not turn out the same way for me but I you know I need to get that same will to survive and that same will to to to, to never give up you know I I, I was just, I mean. I, I'm a sore loser. I hate losing, and I wasn't gonna. <laughs> and you hate I wasn't gonna let no, them. Freaking, by the way, I wasn't gonna let them guys beat me, and that's. I mean, it wasn't gonna happen, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, I and like I said, I mean, we we even had some comical times. I mean, it's. I had one of the freaking captors in there, and there's some some big rats found me one day and you know they could smell my arm it's rotten and I said man I'm I grew up on a farm you got one rat you got a hundred rats and, and I'm gonna be in this freaking room with them and fighting these rats off and and I'm 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 trying to kill this rat in the room and one of the guards ran in and, and uh, me and him are trying to attack this doggone rat and I'm thinking listen this is the guy's probably gonna kill me tomorrow <laughs> and 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 here here we are going down this wall uh trying to get this rat cornered down here and kill it and we we we, we ended up killing the rat and he he walks outside with it and i sat back down i'm thinking man, well i may get some meat tomorrow i don't know <laughs> so tommy uh tell me have you gone and, and done speeches or presentations for sir school classes uh, yeah, since your I've event been, happened, I've, I've been to Fairchild a few times. Uh, well, the DIT course took me around to several several places, Okinawa, Germany, and and uh, I'm I'm going down to uh, Blackland uh, next month down there to speak to some ECAT guys down there. Uh, you know, I still have a job. I still have so much living, you know, and you know, but but as much as I can go, if they need me, I'm I'm I'm, I'm ready to go and willing. Uh, because like I said, I, I'm here. You know, it's uh, a dead man can't talk, and I'm, I'm alive, and I can talk, and I can speak for myself. I can speak for what Matt went through. I can speak for what I can speak for what some of the guys that don't want to talk about it speak about. It. I mean, we we got guys that don't want to even talk about it. So we got we got to have people little little talk, and and you know, talking about it is good. I I mean, I don't know that may have helped me more than others. You have to talk about. It. I've talked about my experience pretty much from day one. I mean, I was. I was going to Houston when I, I mean, the, the company we were working for, uh, they were having me, they basically wanted me to come down there and try to scare scare guys off, you know, these guys that really didn't know where they were going. So they had me come down there and, and had a two-hour briefing, you know, every week with the new new truck drivers going over to, you know, make sure we had uh, guys that uh, knew where they were going. And, and, and I had a couple of couple of them come up to me and you know they saw my arm and looked at me and said you know can i can i get a full body armor suit when i go over there and i said buddy you better get you a plane ticket back home because you ain't getting nothing but a kevlar m and a breastplate and a back plate and and you know you can survive if they, if they hit you anywhere else but if you're worried about getting shot in the arm leg or whatever you know and you got to have all this armor on you you better just pack it up and go back home i think that Amazing uh, way to put it, Tommy. Uh, you know, because of your upbringing, and I can hear the the slang in your voice. Um, it, 
a country boy can survive rings into my head when I ever I hear you talk about this. Um, right. And because you're absolutely a country boy and you brought that experience with you into Iraq and I you know, I can't help but think that that helped you survive your experience. So Right. And you know, I you know, I and CJ, I, I I usually talk more about my faith and I haven't done that today because I know I, that's not where I need to be. I mean it, it's a it's a, you've heard a little of it, but you know, I, even I was given that briefing down there, and you know, the next day I was at the defect eating with some of the guys, and and I saw some guys get up in the back of the room and walk out, and you know I couldn't go beat them down, make them stay and listen to me, because these guys I, I let these guys hear it all. My faith had got me through. It gave me a peace uh, to get through this, to be you know reasonable and, and not lose my head in the situation, and. And he looked at me and said, I didn't want to hear all that stuff. And I said, hey, buddy, I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not trying to force you to do anything. But, you know, I, I'm a guy that will sit and listen to anything. I'll sit and listen to a, to a Muslim preach out of the Koran if I if I want to know something about it or anybody. Mm-hmm. I said, but I'm going to tell you, but who's you? I said, you go over there and you get captured, and, 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 and they put you and lock you up like you locked me. I said, I want you to get up and tell them guys open that door and let you out because you got to go home. You don't want nothing to do with this stuff. So you're the one that missed out, you know. If you didn't like what I was saying, that's fine. But there were some things that 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 were I was talking about that you know might have helped you if if you were in the same situation. So I'm I'm all ears, you know. That's just how I that's how I calculate it all when it goes in and when it comes out. I listen to anything. And I think uh, you know one of the things that uh, I absolutely adore and have mad respect for is you've talked about Keith Matthew Matthew, um, who was the U.S. soldier who was also captured on April 9th, 2004 uh, those events Um, and correct me if I'm wrong please but I believe there was five contractors killed, three soldiers killed and or one contractor who was still missing. Yeah, we um, and ten six, and all, one, one still missing. Tim, Timothy Bell still missing. Nobody ever mentions his name. That's that's another thing that that, that ticks me off about down there getting old. You know, even the news media here when when they bring up about returning get getting old guys are loose down there detainees. I said, listen, let's let's back that up with Timothy Bell. Let's show a picture of him. Where's he at? What have they done to him? What did they do to Staff Sergeant Matt Moffin? You know, what did they do to him? They killed him in captivity, you know, and I, I'm not for letting any of those guys loose down there. I mean, some of them gone back to the battlefield. I believe I read the other day where one of them was killed on the battlefield. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're where they need to be, by God. And, and uh, you know, like I said, it, you know, all these people are fussing about torture. If, if they'd have tortured me, beat me, broke every bone in my freaking body, that's – that's that's what I'm I'm you know to, to them I'm their enemy if, if that's what they you know and like I said it, it, they better have some earplugs because I can scream pretty doggone loud when I'm in pain my God. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, you know, know we, we, so we don't seem to we don't seem to take that. take right we don't seem to to look at what what our guys have gone through what they've done to us you know we're we're supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to take the high road. I mean, we're we're fighting a fighting a bunch of a band of of scum hoodlums that uh, mm-hmm. that fight any way they can fight. I, you know, when, when I came home, 
and I'm not going to say they were, you know, in captivity. I, I would sit there and think, okay, now they're going if they execute me, how they're going to do it? Uh, they're going to walk in here and dump a can of gas on me and throw a match in. Uh, you know, what, 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 how's it going to happen? I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with dying because uh, I've come close to it too many times. But if, if you let that rattle around in your brain of how it's going to happen, now that can drive you crazy, you know. And and you know I tried not to let that bother me too much, but you know when I came home and, and all these beheadings were going on, and a lot of those beheadings happened started not long after I I escaped, so I, and and, mm-hmm. and that, that was yeah. weighing heavy on me. I said they're not giving anybody a chance now because I got away. I made them look like a bunch of fools and idiots. Uh, am I the reason why they're they're you know beheading all these people? And 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 I actually went to one of the. The websites where the beheading was, and I said, "I'm going to, I'm going to witness this. I'm going to see what it's like because I have got to keep that. That I've got to keep that certain amount of anger. I don't, I don't want no sympathy coming out whatsoever. And when I saw that, uh, got no sympathy, got no empathy for him. Uh, like you said, we've got good Muslims, and 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 when the good Muslims, that's fine. We when we find out who they all are, and 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 they can coexist with us." And as long as they're not beheading people in the streets here in America like they're doing in Saudi Arabia and some of these other countries, I don't have a problem with it. But these radical Islamist scumbags need to be eradicated from the face of the earth, or they need to change their ways. I, I, you know, that's what I thought when we went to Iraq. I saw all those kids over there. We threw water. We threw MREs to them. And we stopped on the road and interacted with some of them. Couldn't speak to them. They couldn't talk to me, but we gave them MREs and food. I'm thinking, man, these kids are where it's at. They're actually getting to see Americans for the first time, boots on the ground with them. We're, you know, we're, we're giving them. Some of them are going to hate us for the rest of their lives for the things that happen. But it don't take but a few of them to grow up and say, "Hey, those Americans, those, those they're not that bad. They're not like what, what we've been told about." What we've been told. And, and that's all it takes. That's what it takes to grow out of it. And you know, those those kids over there. I'm going to tell you. On those convoys, we had a we had a driver nearly killed. A rock came through the windshield. Those kids were throwing rocks at us every day. I've had a face full of glass. Uh, I picked out of my eyes because rocks hit the windshield. I've had rocks go through the windshield and hit hit behind me the seat. Uh, kid or whatever, you're trying to kill me. I don't have a gun, but I got a truck. I'm gonna tell you. And the way I look at it now, those kids that were 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 young teenagers back then, they were just throwing rocks. It's like father, like son. If something doesn't change right now, those kids that were throwing rocks at us are strapping on suicide bombs. They're 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 planting roadside bombs and they're and they're pointing AKs at our guys and they're pointing AKs and doing all this to the Iraqi army. that's trying to bring that country back into to, to our world where it's where all this chaos is not unfolding. And I think that's uh, absolutely one hundred percent right. You know. Uh, you just brought up a point that so many people don't want to recognize or acknowledge, and that's regardless of their age, uh, if they can hold a gun and fight, they're military fighting age males or mams. Um, if they can pick up an AK-47, point it in the direction of an American, and create aggression against Americans, they're a ma'am, um, and they're a threat. You know, I've been asked so many times 
what my opinion was of Afghanis or Iraqis. And, you know, because of of my assignment in special operations or uh, my deployments, I didn't see any good guys uh, for the most part. When I saw a an Afghani or an Iraqi, uh, they were bad guys. I saw them because we were going after them for creating havoc or aggression against the United States of America. So I don't have a good example of what the Afghani or Iraqi people were like because the ones I came in contact with were booger eaters. Uh, you know, they're the bad guys. Uh, right. I had a little, a very minute interaction with good guys or guys who were just there, not part of the radical movement. So, um, and I, and I do have some good memories or some good thoughts on those individuals, but, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of positive interaction because I only dealt with extremely bad people. Exactly. Well, it, it, it's a you know, camp we were at there north of Baghdad. I mean, they started bringing in Iraqis to work. They were building things on the camp, helping, you know, and, and they actually had Iraqis that were security and walked around our, our uh, hooch area. You'd go out at night, get out and walk out, and there'd be an Iraqi standing there on guard, you know, just walking around. I mean, I couldn't talk to them. I couldn't speak the language, but, I mean, they're there. I didn't. And it wasn't like, oh, we can't have these guys here. Well, how do I know if they're good or bad? Well, I didn't know. I mean, I, at that at that time, I'm just worried about getting some sleep and getting ready to to back out on mission again tomorrow. And if, you know, surely goodness, they're vetting these guys that are coming in and working in the bases with us. You know, I had, that was the only you know, somewhat of an interaction I had, with, you know, inside the wire with them. So. We got about seven, you know, maybe six minutes left. Um, and I told you earlier when we were kind of talking, an hour goes by extremely fast. Exactly. We've almost been in the air for two hours. Um, and I'll tell you, brother, this is one of the most amazing interviews. Uh, and I'm humbled by this interview more than any other interview that I've done on the hot wash. Uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. Um, You wrote a book, and Tommy, I followed you for the last two years on Facebook, and we've interacted. And, you know, like I said before, I've tried to get you on here. Our schedules have conflicted, but uh, I finally got you on here. Please plug your book and uh, give us your your life. your last comments or uh, your closing comments for this episode? Well, you know, I, I, I don't plug my book anymore. It was, you know, it was one of them things that, you know, they didn't print very many copies and, and, you know, I, I didn't, ex- I wasn't expecting it to sell very good, but, you know, you know, if, if anybody did get in, I've got some, some good feedback from, from a lot of people that, 
that, that read it. It's it's a good inspirational story. It's and it's the I want to tell you it's the I have a calm side and I have a hard side, and my book has my calm side. If you can think that I have a calm side, and you read that book, you, you'll think I'm an outstanding guy. But don't don't cross me because it may change. <laughs> so don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get your feelings hurt if, if if I go off on you. So don't 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 look at me through this book and think this guy here can't ever get mad. He never has a bad day. Everything is good to go. Uh, I have bad days and, and good days, and you know trucks break down and and expenses and things don't go right. But it, it's all part of that resiliency learning process. You know, I've been my own boss for a long time, and that makes a big difference that you, you're making all the decisions yourself. You know, I, I can't work for somebody. If I went to work for somebody, they'd fire me in two weeks because I don't have time to wait on somebody else to make decisions. And, and this is where the individuals, you know, you, you're your own boss. You're your own mind. You, if, you, if you're wearing that uniform of a warfighter, you're a warfighter. But you've got a mind, and, 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 and you've got a will, and you've got a, a yearning to survive. And and if, if, if you're killing the enemy every day and you come home and you, and you experience the horrors of war, you know, if you got to tuck that away somewhere, because you got to remember, we've got soldiers being deployed every day. And, and, you know, I, and like I said, we're going back to PTSD. I, I remember reading a lot about Audie Murphy. He's one of our most decorated World War II soldiers, a young kid. Uh, he suffered from, from, from battle fatigue back then, shells, like that's what they called it. But he did not make it public because I believe he knew that it would be not detrimental. It would be, it would be a thing that we've got we've got a war to win. We've got new soldiers going every day, and I don't we don't need guys in in the news over here saying this is what you're going to come back with. This is what you're going to experience. I understand we need a, a certain amount of this, and I understand what you're doing with this. But somehow you've got to find a spot in your heart and say, hey, I'm thinking about those guys that are deploying. I'm thinking about that guy that's raising his hand right now and saying, I do, and I'm going to, I'm going to defend this country, and, and he's going over there. Uh, and I've got to give him everything he needs, every tool he needs. I don't need him going over there thinking, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to spend a deployment of it, and I'm going to come home, and, I, and I'm going to be suffering from PTSD. It's like, well, it's, it's automatically going to happen. You know, you know, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. It's one of them things that's just going to trigger. It doesn't have to be triggered. You know, you've got it's a fight every day. You have to fight it, and you have to and you have to win. And and that's what I do. I, I you know, I have my moments. I, I I get in my space, and I and I don't. You know, it's not often, but when I do, uh, I deal with it. And then I get back, and I and I do what I'm supposed to. I get back to work, and, and I do the best I can do to take care and provide my family. And the good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. You know, me and my wife, we've had knockdown, drag out arguments about things. That's part of being married. We, we, you know, it's one of them things. You just, you just deal with it. And if she goes in her corner, and I go in my corner. But you know, we always, you know, we always, you know, we don't run across a daisy field. But we, we, we eventually move <laughs> ourselves back together, and we pick it up, and, and 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 we go till we get, you know, mad at each other again about something. It's just one of them things. But, but. Just, just find a place in your heart to, to put this away for a little bit and think about the guys that are being deployed. Think about the guys that are over there now. We don't want them on the ride back home thinking, is this what I'm going to have to deal with when I get back? Am I going to have Is this something that's, that's automatically going to happen? You know, Don't let those things trigger you. Find another spot to get in. Find another place to go to. Work harder. That's all I've done when I came back. I, I'm a worker freaking holic. Uh, 
You know, I, I, I drank beer. I've probably drank enough beer to float a battleship in my life. When I came back home, I told my <laughs> wife, I'm not, I said, I'm not drinking another drop I'm, until, I, until I know that I'm not drinking a beer or I'm not shooting a glass of whiskey or anything because of what I experienced over there. And for, for a couple of three years, I did not drink a, a beer. I didn't drink any alcohol. Now, today, I'll drink a little bit because I'm over that. I'm not, it's, I don't look back to what I'm having to drink because of what I'm dealing with over there. Don't let that be a crutch to pull you back down. You know, good if it's you. a happy moment, drinking a beer is a happy moment, that's a good deal. I got no problem. If you want to cuss to the world, go outside and, and, and ran at the moon, that's fine. But just deal with everything and get up and move out tomorrow. My God, Tommy, well, I got to tell you what. Like... Go ahead, Jeff and Alex. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say, no, you know, you, well we, 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 we do it for the people that, that can't do it for us. Exactly. And you know what? Thank you you know, we're over our lifetime uh, still recording. So guys that uh, tune in to on iTunes and pull up the hot wash or uh, hit the link, they'll still be able to hear all of this. But you know what? I mean, I'll tell you what, by God, you absolutely Absolutely, excuse me, um, embodying the memory and pride of those who have gone under you. Because those individuals who lost their life in the war on terrorism, you hit the nail on the head and said, you know what, if they were here, this is what they'd be doing. And this is how it should be. You know what? I, I tip my hat to you, brother. You are the epitome of what a survivor should be. Um, your resilience, and I hate the Army's freaking, oh, let's learn some resiliency bullshit uh, that they preach these days because. They preach that to people who have absolutely no clue what it means to suck or to be in a shitty situation and overcome it. But uh, you know what? You're a resilient motherfucker. And you you know what? (laughs) I tell it like it is. And I'll tell you right now, you know what? I'd give my left and right arm to have a whole squad of hard, pipe-hitting motherfuckers like you on the back of it. Because you are what a warrior should think, know, be, and do. And you're never quit, always freaking... Look for the opportunity, and I'm going to survive. You know, Tommy, I'll be honest with you. Listening to your story, it reminds me me of the insect who's being swallowed by the frog, and he's got his hands around the throat of the frog that's swallowing. Um, That's absolutely Tommy Hamill. Um, You know what? They might be trying to swallow me and eat me, but I'm going to choke out of them while they're trying to do it. Exactly. Um, yep. That is the epitome 
of what we try to instill in our soldiers and our civilians who are fighting global war on terrorism. So, I, I, Tommy, you know what? It, it's been a great honor to have you on the hot watch tonight. Um, you bet. Appreciate you, Jay, Alex, Jeff, all y'all. Yeah, I thank, can't, you. thank you. I wanted enough. to curse. I was like, oh, my God, these motherfuckers that they're letting out of Gitmo, they're, they're the ones that are doing the new bombs. They're the ones that are bombing everything. So, I know, uh, I know. What's... So annoying. There's my oh, Alex. Oh, God, oh. where have you been hiding for so many <laughs> and I hear Jeff laughing because he's like, I know what you're talking about. I hear it when we're not on the radio. <laughs> Alex, where have you been? Well, well my phone we put... fucked up. Jeff's <laughs> like, oh, don't put well, your candy coat. Tell it like it is. Yeah. Well, like, well we yeah, all still and... have to put things in perspective, you know. I, I was reading, you know, I read a lot of stuff, and I read a, some firsthand. You know, accounts of the Bataan Death March and when those guys were liberated down there, and, and a reporter was asking one of these guys, you know, you know, do you have any long range projections? Were you were you thinking long range? And the, this old this guy said, you know, yeah, I had some pretty long range predictions. He said, I I picked out a, a tree up the road there, and I looked at it and I said, I think, hope to God, I make it to that freaking tree up there. He said, I'd get to that tree, I'd look down the road, I'd find another tree or a limb or something. He said, I'd just pray to God and hope to God I'll make it to that tree there. Sometimes we don't want to get our, you know, objectives out too far that we can't reach and get them. Sometimes we got to bring them back and get them close. we just, we, we got to win these little battles before we win the big battles. That's true. That's true, but our government's so reactive that they are not doing what you need. What you're doing is you're trying to prevent these things. So it's a, just a reactive government. Exactly. So, but like I said, put it, everything got to be put in perspective, and, and you know we're all, we're all our own individual, and you know we, we we survive or we don't survive, but when we survive, you know let's let's all return with honor. Yeah, and, you know, and I wanted uh, to Tommy, tell you, you know, go ahead, Dallas. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, I was going to say what I wanted to say because you kept saying, you know. Um, you know, I thought you were going to be this big guy, and it's like the elephant. the elephant, elephant is the biggest in the jungle, and if he's he's not the king of the jungle, it's no, usually he's not. you know the exactly. So if that was true, the elephant would be the king of the jungle. So people are <laughs> in their perceptions sometimes, I'm just like shut up. <laughs> exactly. Well, like but I said, we just we just. You just gotta have that. You just gotta put it there and put it in your heart. And 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 well, like I said, I'm a I'm a sore loser. I hate losing. I'll freaking. I mean, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll work till I'll go till I drop before I freaking lose. <laughs> no. Hell yeah. So. Hell yeah. Well, Tommy, I definitely want to say thanks for coming on being the hot watch tonight. Um, and you I'll tell you, that. this is definitely an honor to have you on. Uh, I want to give a chance for Alex to throw out any um, shout outs, anything she can say. And then move on to Jeff before our closing comments. All right. I just wanted to say extremist Muslims are so poisonous, and they just infect the younger people. And uh, I don't know, it's just uh, just freaking crazy. But I'm so glad that you were here to tell the tale and that you continue um, 
teaching others so they can survive. So thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thanks. And and I just want to you know couple couple with that 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 uh, you are you are truly an inspiration and and your inspiration is going to impact people for generations to come and and for that you know we'll never be able to thank you enough, Tommy. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Well, I just hope it. I just hope it gives everybody the will to survive. And, and if you, if you don't even think of me, don't think of anybody. We all should have that. You know? We all should have that. As Americans, we should all have survive. I definitely want to, say, uh, Tommy. Once again, thank you for coming on and being a guest of the Hot Wash tonight. Uh, you've been listening to the Hot Wash with C.J. Alex and Gold Star Father Jeff. Uh, guest tonight was Tommy Hamill, former prisoner of war. Uh, he was taken prisoner 9 April 2004. Uh, I'm definitely honored that we had you on as a guest tonight. Um, want to sh- throw a shout out to Junior's Bullet Pins, uh, one of our uh, sponsors. If you're looking for a badass pin that will write and completely be the best pin you've been with. Check out Junior's Bullet Pins. Uh, check out Veteran Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great organization who gives back to combat wounded veterans, takes them on once-in-a-lifetime uh, outdoor activities, and not only takes them on the activities, but uh, goes up with them and follows them every day and makes them part of the family. Uh, definitely want to say thank you to Horsepower Therapy, uh, an organization that reaches out to uh, combat veterans who are interested in high-speed, high-horsepower vehicles. Um, check out Horsepower Therapy. They're on Facebook. And uh, once again, I want to say this is an episode of the Plus, check us out on iTunes. Just type in the Hot Wash, and it'll pop up on iTunes. All of our episodes are archived. You, Chris, and uh, want to say thanks again, once again, to Tommy Hamill, Alex Maltizo, and Jeff Falco, my co-hosts. Bless America. God bless the USA. Night stalkers don't quit.
Thank you. 